This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. We all hate being lied to, especially when it comes from our kids. So how do we open up a conversation about lying and cheating? This week, we present an encore episode. Episode 69, Lying, Sneaking, Cheating. What keeps kids from being honest? And be sure to check out our show notes for a New York Times article written by Dr. Lisa Demore that might be helpful. It's official. I went and got a checkup. I am 10 pounds heavier than I was a year ago. Congratulations, Rena. Well done. <laughs> okay, I'm not stressing over it because apparently I'm in the healthy BMI, but I'm telling everyone who's listening, don't worry about it. It's going to get better. Exactly. It'll sort itself out. I do wish the scale lied sometimes, but you know who lies sometimes more often than the scale are children. How do you get that under wraps? I love this letter that we got in our inbox, Lisa. It says, hello, I'm a licensed clinical social worker in New York. I work with children, adolescents, and families, and I have two teens of my own. Your podcast helps me both professionally and personally. I look forward to my Tuesday morning walks so I can listen to the new podcast. This is part of my pleasure scheduling. A question I get over and over from my clients is, why is my kid lying? I've never gotten a good grasp on this behavior. and was wondering what your thoughts are on the why and what to do about it. Thank you very much. I love this. I also love like having a colleague write in, you know, getting to think with another clinician about about what we see in the office, Um, because we do see lying in the office and we do hear parents worrying about it. So why do they do it? Well, there's, you know, it's complicated, as a kid would say. Um, Right now, I think we're seeing a lot of lying around something that I have observed over time, which is it's not unusual for kids to lie, not because they're trying to fool their parents, but because they're lying to themselves. (laughs) Um, So what I'm thinking about specifically is a kiddo I took care of years ago who um, had basically gotten himself into a terrible hole with his schoolwork, had basically, you know, really, really gotten very far behind. And he was in his own state of denial about it. He was really um, trying to ignore the problem, um, being very evasive around the problem, didn't want to deal with it. And I think, of course, the problem with this is, you know, the longer you avoid something like this, it just grows and grows. Yeah. And so... His dad, you know, started to get wise to things not being so great. And his dad would ask him point blank, like, did you do your homework? And the kid would be like, absolutely. And the dad would say, like, did you turn it in? And the kid would say, absolutely. And um, which, of course, none of this was true. And then, you know, they'd get a report from school that this kid was terribly behind. And, of course, the dad was really upset. And the dad was also, and I think this is where it's interesting, The dad was kind of personally offended about it, you know, like really felt like, why is my kid lying to me? And as I dug into the situation, what became very clear to me was, 
oh, it's not like the kid woke up in the morning and was like, how am I going to mess with dad? You know, I mean, that was not <laughs> that was not what was happening here. The kid was basically completely in over his head, was using avoidance as a strategy to manage massive anxiety about school. And the lying to his dad was just collateral damage to a much different problem, mm-hmm. which was that he had gotten himself into a terrible spot academically and didn't even know how to start digging, really. But this is what I don't understand. Don't they get it's going to catch up to you at some point? This is this is something that's interesting about school and I think is doubly true about pandemic school is that kids, and I would say especially teenagers, can be pretty impressive in their smoke screens around where they stand with regard to their work. And so it can actually, it does catch up with them. But one thing I've always been sort of impressed, I guess, by is it sometimes takes weeks for the grown-ups to put together the puzzle of how little work the kid has done. Because they'll also say, oh, I turned it in digitally. That's so funny. You didn't get it. That's so weird. You know, I mean, there can be a lot of ways for kids to make this hard to, to nail down. And so the way that I actually want to walk up to this is to appreciate it does create a massive long-term problem. But in the short term, the lying and the smokescreen are really surprisingly effective. I mean, at throwing mm-hmm. adults off your scent and, and, and making the problem go away in the immediate, it just creates a massive problem down the line. So the Rena before Lisa would be like, how could you lie to me? I can't believe you lied to me. And it, it's all about me and how upset I am that you pulled the wool over my eyes. Do I, I'm, I'm sure there are parents who'd raise their hand saying they react that same way. Well, and like, that's a that's a totally understandable first reaction, you know, that and especially when the parents like, I've been asking, I've been worried about yeah. this, I've been trying to help you. And you've been like, basically like blowing smoke, you know, this whole time. Mm-hmm. What I would say is, it's fair for the adult to be upset, but it's not going to be helpful to the situation, because it really is not about the kid trying to lie to the parent. And I actually I wrote my February column for the Times was about helping kids out of a homework hole. Because right now, when you look at the data on kids in pandemic school, like they are kids owe tons of work and are behind and falling behind, mostly just because they're very disengaged from school. And and the first point I make in that article is like, don't get mad. Just, you know, you may, and especially in a pandemic when we're all so worn thin and tired and trying to stay on top of anything we can, it's easy to feel really mad. But I would say, you know, See if you can't get past that or see if you can't blow off that steam somewhere else and then approach your kid from the standpoint of, all right, you know, you've gotten yourself into a really bad position. You are managing that bad position by basically lying to yourself, which also then involved lying to me. I'm going to set aside the lying to me for now, but you got to figure out and I'm here to help you figure out how to fix the problem you've created for yourself. I think that's where we want to be. So when you try to help them fix the problem, what helps in that situation? Well, if it's schoolwork, I think there is that kind of taking a cold, hard look at what the kid owes and then trying to figure out how they're going to tackle it or manage it. And at this point, I would say if that's a problem in a family, I would also try to talk to the school, communicate with teachers. You know, I think everybody just wants to help these kids through at this point, and a lot of kids are dropping balls. And, you know, we can be kind about it. Mm -hmm. I think 
if it's not schoolwork, if it's something else, you know, like a chore they were supposed to do or an obligation they didn't meet or, you know, some other thing where the kid was using lying, using denial, using avoidance because they hadn't held up their end of a bargain or hadn't done what they were supposed to do, I think the teachable moment as a parent is to acknowledge, like, look, when you lie about this, when you tell people it's done and it's not done, I get it. Like, in the short term, the problem, and I would use finger quotes here, goes away. (laughs) Um, But then I would say, here's the problem. In the long term, it just becomes even bigger. So don't do this. I I think that that's how I would approach it as a parent. So you're saying part of the reason why they lie is to hide something. Are there other reasons why they might lie to you? You know, I think, again, clinically, like, when have I seen kids be, I guess I'll say shady? Like, what makes kids shady? And and another reason, and, and this, this gets to the, you know, I'm thinking about our parenting to go from the last podcast, right? There's always a reason when kids are doing things that we don't want them to do. There's always a reason. Another reason, it reminds me, it was a 12-year-old girl who I had in my practice, and her mom was really upset with her because she was a sneaky kid. She was doing all this sneaky stuff. And the sneaky stuff that the mom described and the kid admitted she'd been doing is the kid would say, I'm going over to so-and-so's house. And then we'll go over to another kid's house. And then the mom would somehow sort of start to figure out that um, there'd been a switcheroo in this. And then when she would confront the girl about it, the girl would be like, no, no, no. And then she would come up with this whole elaborate, you know, justification for why the mom misunderstood the situation. And it did look sneaky. It was sneaky. I mean, the kid was definitely doing things that were not, you know, totally upright. And and as I got to know the girl, what became very clear is that she felt um, over-controlled by her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she had done at 11 what most 11-year-olds do, which is they just start to close their doors to their bedrooms. You know, that it just is a very normal part of the beginning of adolescence, which is at 11. The kids want more privacy and more autonomy. And the mom, I think backed by the dad in this situation, thought it was really weird that the kid wanted her door closed. And so said, you can't have your door closed. And really wouldn't allow what I consider to be normal levels of privacy. Mm. And so the kid couldn't have her door closed. And I think that was a good example. There were like lots of versions of that where the mom kind of took a suspicious stance towards the child as she moved into adolescence and started to be very, um, I would would say intrusive, you know, not Mm. really giving her space to be, to have privacy for its own sake. And, And really 11, 12, and certainly adolescence, They need and want, and I actually think deserve, privacy for its own sake. Like, they're very rarely doing Mm. something that they're not Mm. supposed to be doing. They just want privacy. And since the kid couldn't get it, I think that she was like, okay, fine. Like, you're actually not going to know about everything I'm up to, and I'm going to lie to you just to have the privacy, which, of course, like, made its own mess. But it's not like the kid started out from a position where everything was great, and she just thought she'd see if she could mess with her mom. Wow. So you're saying sometimes too much control over a child can lead them in the direction of lying as well. I think so, especially if they don't feel like they've got room or space or independence. They're going to get it one way or another. Hmm. 
And so I think that, you know, the takeaway on that one is very much when your child wants to just sort of become more separate from you, become more independent, don't assume it's because they're doing something wrong. Don't assume that they're up to no good. And <laughs> and this is in part why, you know, I know I've said this before, like, this is why I want to get banners and fly them behind planes saying adolescence begins at 11. Yeah. Because that yeah. is the age at which kids suddenly want to keep their cards closer to their chest, want to share less with their parents. And when parents aren't realizing that it's simply because that young person has moved into adolescence, they can all too readily assume that there's more to it. The other time I've seen this, Rena, and this is this is very interesting, and is um sometimes I've seen parents be very intrusive and overly suspicious when the parent themselves had been a very sneaky kid. <laughs> Like, when they knew they grew up that way, that they yeah. were just sneaky as a child. Yeah. And and who knows why they were or what they were up to. Or maybe the parent had a sibling that was like really, really sneaky. And uh. so so there's a little bit, we, we use this term, like there's a little bit of like ghosts in the nursery. Like the parents' own <laughs> memories and anxieties about their adolescence start to cloud their view of their own child. Interesting. It is interesting. It's actually very painful to watch clinically because what happens is you have a totally normally developing 11-year-old who's like, I'm going to close my door. And then you have a totally (laughs) flipped out parent who's like, whoa, closing your door. When my brother started closing his door, he was selling weed, you know, (laughs) like whatever. (laughs) And consciously or not, that starts to inform the parent's view of the child. And... um, doesn't tend to help the situation. So one of the things we want as a takeaway for this is that kids deserve privacy. It's okay for kids to have privacy. They should want privacy. We should grant them privacy unless they give you a reason. They give you a reason to think something is up. It's best to presume that it's normal, healthy development taking its course. So if you see yourself doing that, or you know that you were sneaky as a, as a child and you're assuming your kid is, how do you hit the reset and, and not get yourself to go there? How do you give them that level of trust and say, okay, let's see what, what, what where this goes? The key in this, and, and this is something I've really grappled with clinically, is, is it conscious for the parent or not? Because I've seen it in both cases. Like, I've seen parents where they're like, listen, things were pretty out of control when I was a kid, or, you know, we had a pretty difficult family situation, and so I was up to all sorts of stuff and lying to my parents like crazy, and I worry a lot about my kid becoming a teenager because of what I went through, and I don't want that to impact, (laughs) you know, how I raise my kid. Mm -hmm. I've seen that. That's the good version. The less good version, and I have seen this, and and Rena, I will say in 25 years of practicing, I would say this is sort of one of the more painful things I've watched unfold, where I've had a parent come in and they describe to me what sounds like a devil child. <laughs> I mean, like they really <laughs> describe this really naughty, sneaky, up to no good kid and um, highly suspicious, you know, pointing to all sorts of evidence of the kids, you know, not not forthcomingness. And then the kid comes in, and I am pretty good at evaluating teenagers at this point. And the kid comes in and is like, I don't know what I did to 
deserve this, you know, the hairy eyeball with which the parent regards me. And mm. and really, you know, maybe the kid's pulling the wool over my eyes, but I, I, I've never really, in the end, seen it play out that way, where the kid's like, I don't get it. Like, why, why doesn't the adult trust me? And it's great when the family is seeking help and the kid is saying, like, I don't get it and seems to be trust, trusting me enough to actually say that. Where that can go wrong, and this is really important in parenting, is if the kid starts to think, well, screw it. Like, if you mm-hmm. already think I am, you know, sneaking around, lying and, you know, doing all sorts of wrong things, like, well, why not? Right? I mean, you already think I am. And here I am trying to stay on the straight and narrow, having not a lot of fun. I'm going to live down to your expectation. So mm. that's my least favorite scenario. So what I would say as a parent is if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, man, like either I did a whole bunch of stuff I feel weird about or I watched my sibling do a whole bunch of stuff that makes me really worried about my kid becoming a teenager, I would say start thinking about it. Start trying to make some separation between the there and then and the here and now. And what I would also say is if you're fortunate enough to be in a situation where you got more than one parent raising that kid, use your partner as a check. Because that can be a real gift that two parents can give a kid, which is that one parent might say, I'm reacting really strongly to this. Do you get the same read on it? And if you trust your partner, that can be a really helpful way to keep the ghosts in the nursery out of the moment that you're in. I like that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. I love doing laundry now because of EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. EarthBreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologists tested, hypoallergenic, and also free of bleach, dyes, and parabens. Fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what EarthBreeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of EarthBreeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bolin Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bolin Branch Sheets for a while now, and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my Bolin Branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness at least on my face, even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. 
See site for details. I got the most amazing pair of boot-cut black work pants that have been a game-changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye, and once they did, it's such a game changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good, and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels that she can read my mind now and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of wardrobe piece and she sends it to me and it fits and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash asklisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So Lisa, I think as parents, though, we assume the absolute worst. Oh, he's hanging out with this kid. I don't know who this kid is. They're up to some something shady. When do you have to worry that your child might be a sociopath <laughs> because of lying? <laughs> You're lying, kid. Am I raising exactly. a lunatic here? Am I raising a sociopath? Okay. In all likelihood, you are not raising a sociopath. Um, so that let me just start there. Um, But let's say, like, when should you worry you're raising a sociopath? What I would say is, if the kid's having fun with it, I think that one of the the things that really um, flags (laughs) uh, in my mind when it's time to really worry that we don't have garden variety lying and growing up, but we actually have a kiddo who's really on a bad path, is when they manipulate because it's delightful to them to toy with people, to mm. to get over on them, taking pleasure and getting over on people. And, you know, the term we use, and this is a little bit heavy duty, but it's a useful term, is like when there's a sadistic quality, when there's pleasure in hurting other people, um, pleasure in taking advantage of other people, then you probably do have a sociopath on your hands. Um, and that's probably a topic for another podcast. <laughs> but, but most I mean, of the time. How often do you see that in, in your years of practicing? How often do you see something like that? Mm, once every 10 years. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I've seen, I've seen some kiddos where I'm like, man, like wow. either you're going to be really successful in business or you're going to go to jail <laughs> or both. <laughs> probably see, both. See, there's a part of me that wants to say, because I'm not in the teenage years yet, Maybe a little bit lying makes them think outside of the box and they're going to be an entrepreneur or somebody really sharp and bright. But it doesn't feel good as a parent, I can tell you that. No, but you do imagine that perhaps some of the most successful business people have what we would call maybe a little more moral flexibility (laughs) (laughs) at their disposal. But in the meantime, you don't want your kid lying to you and you don't want your kid not doing their work and you don't want your kid sneaking around. Yeah. Lisa, what about cheating? Oh, right. Speaking of things you don't want your kids doing. Exactly. Well, okay, so cheating is fascinating. There is a point in development when it is entirely normal, actually. Um, and it's right around age six. To cheat? That's to, cheat. to cheat. Six-year-olds mm-hmm. cheat like crazy. If you play a game with a kid who's six, they will just make up the rules the whole entire time until they have won. And it's very annoying as a grown-up. And um, and so then parents sit there with their six-year-old thinking like, holy moly, I've got a sociopath as a six-year-old. Okay, no, you have a normally developing six-year-old, but it's really important to know why they're cheating. Not that the cheating's okay, but again, there's a reason. Okay, so bear with me. So here's the deal. 
before age six, conscience exists externally. So ages like roughly zero to five, if you don't get caught, you are good to go. Right? If nobody sees you do it, you've done nothing wrong. So basically all kids under five are like, you know, roughly sociopathic, but not really. <laughs> but then it's interesting at age six, conscience starts to internalize. Kids start to get a sense of a right and a wrong that goes with them everywhere they go. And this isn't this is an improvement. This is a you know step in the right direction. But the challenge developmentally is that that first iteration of conscience is very brutal, actually. You are either a total angel or you have committed a capital crime. You are all good or you're terribly wrong. And what parents see is that when kids make mistakes at age six, they tend to kind of lose it. And it can even be something like scribbling outside the lines or spilling their milk. And the kid will be like, (gasps) you know, and just start to panic and like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And the parent's like, it's fine. Like, it's not that big a deal. And the kid's like, yes, it is. It's a huge deal. And often the parent's like, where is this coming from? And where it's coming from is that in the normal development of, you know, childhood, six-year-olds really feel like either you're totally innocent or you're completely horrendous. And so the cheating comes in. Because they can't stand the idea of, like, being in the wrong Mm. in any way. And so losing becomes intolerable. And so six-year-olds, as a group, they will, if there's something's not right, they will either blame or lie or cheat just to not be in the wrong. And I'll tell you, I have a funny story. It was really, it was, like, kind of hilarious and sweet at the time. So um, my younger daughter, when she was six, the four of us, um, our family was walking up our block together and we were on the we were coming home from something and we were on the opposite side of the street from our house and our younger daughter at age six like wandered across the street towards our house without looking either way and luckily we live on a very quiet street and so there was no traffic or nothing but we were like whoa you can't do that and we're like yelling at her across the street like you can't cross the street without looking and she goes I didn't. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, yeah, you did. We just watched you do it. And she's like, nope, I didn't. I didn't. And we're like, hey, kiddo, you're over there. We're over here. And she goes, oh. and then she did this thing that six-year-olds do, which she goes, oh, I'm the worst child in the world. I'm the worst. And just starts crying, whatever. That's six, right? So deny, deny, cheat, cheat until you can no longer deny it and then freak out. So, Okay. So here's the solution, whether you have a six-year-old or a high-strung teenager. Explain to them that mistakes come in different sizes, small, medium, and large. And the size of the mistake dictates how bad they should feel and how much work they need to do to fix it. So if they spill their milk, that's a small mistake. They don't need to feel that bad. They just need to clean it up. If they've been acting kind of ramped up and wild and you've told them to calm down and then they spill their milk, well, that's medium. They should feel a little worse and there's more work to fix it. They have to calm down and also clean up. (laughs) If they throw their milk on their sister, all right, now we've got a big problem. They should feel bad about that and then they need to do a whole lot of things to make it right. The other thing we want to point out is losing in games is not something that one needs to feel is somehow wrongdoing. That's just part of playing games. And to help kids with that, we can say, look, when you play games, you win sometimes, you lose sometimes. Watch how I handle it when I lose. I don't mind. I get that that's part of playing a game. But the the point here being, when kids screw up, 
whether they are at age six or whether later in development. And by screwing up, I mean, they lie, they sneak, we catch them doing something that they shouldn't be doing. You want to help them feel guilt at the right level, right? To say, look, you made a mistake. You should feel bad here. Like you didn't do the right thing. But we don't want them to feel horrible, 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 right? Like way, way too big. And then we need to help them figure out what it takes to make it right. They have to be able to wipe the slate clean. They have to be able to reset. But what if you feel like they can't reset? I'm thinking high school, the pressure of grades. What if there's a cheating situation there? What do you well, do? that's the other place you do see cheating, right? Is So there's you know normative cheating at age six. And then when, when cheating really crops up again in, you know, frequency, it's high schoolers. And often it's high schoolers who are feeling tremendous pressure. And, and we see this. And there's a group named Challenge Success, which does beautiful work out of Stanford. And they look at kids under tremendous pressure. And they see, like, the more pressure we put on kids, the more they cheat. So if a kid cheats and gets caught in high school, it could be pretty ugly, right? I mean, it could really, um, depending on how the school handles it, you know, they might have to, you know, have a disciplinary process that may or may not get reported to colleges. I mean, so there's some real teeth to that. But even in high school, good kids do dumb things. And so there's both the um, dealing with the consequences. And I'm always on the side of consequences being about repair, you know, the opportunity for kids to make things right. And and I guess that that's like, I would say, extends to all of this. You know, if you catch your kid lying or cheating or sneaking, work with the assumption you have a fundamentally good kid who did a dumb thing. And it's important not to hammer them with guilt, to have their guilt be proportional, as we do with six-year-olds, small, medium, and large. You know, you should feel this bad. This is what you can do to make it right. Because part of what keeps kids on the straight and narrow is to have a conscience that operates well. And by Mm. that, I mean like a conscience that does ping in proportion to the problem at hand. That's actually what keeps kids from doing the wrong thing. Wow. That is good. That is really good. And keeping it fine-tuned, their conscience throughout. A fine-tuned conscience <laughs> is a wonderful thing. It okay. is, but truly just that small, medium, and large, you mm. should feel this bad. This is all that's required to fix it. That's how we help kids develop a fine-tuned conscience that can be a useful guide for them as they navigate their way. Thank you. Because I think we often look at it from the lowest common denominator of your child. And I like that you said, give them the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah. Kids make mistakes. (laughs) You're right. You're right. And what about parenting to go? In keeping with today's theme, (laughs) let's talk about the difference between guilt and shame. So when your kid really does something that they shouldn't have done, it's easy to go to shame. And by shame, what we mean in psychology is it's not that the kid did something wrong. It's that the kid is bad. So shame is about who you are. Guilt is about what you did. Shame is almost never a good thing to bring into a relationship. So no matter how angry you are at your child, try to steer clear of shame. It's not about your kid being a bad person. It's about your kid doing a dumb thing. So they should feel guilt about the dumb thing they did, but not shame about who they are as a person. Guilt versus shame. Hmm. Never thought of it that way. 
And next week, we're going to be talking about beauty and building self-esteem. Should you tell your children they're beautiful? Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.